0: Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment
1: and I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So, I hear you have yet another new app. I do. I'm sur- I'm so surprised. <laughs> well, you know, I feel like it had, it had been a while um, since I launched my last one. Well, I feel
0: like like you know, your you you have two frequent like hit points that that inspire you to make a new app. Point number 1 is when you know if if it's a watch app if you figure out something you can do on the watch because you're super into watch development yeah. point number two is if there's new there, if there's a new hardware capability of of the new generation of devices and in this case it seems like that's that the, those have both hit here yes. you found something new to do on the watch uh, especially you know even in the area of something like um, you know api level stuff and also the series five watches added a compass which no one can really figure out what to do with but you figured out something to do with it sure
1: yeah. So I guess I, I'll sort of dive into a little bit of the backstory of this. So one of the things that, um, so, so when I, when all the reviews came out for the, um, series five Apple watch, uh, I was just, yeah, you I know, watched lots and lots of review videos and saw lots of reviews. And in most of these, there is a, a picture of the new California face with the moon complication, um, in sort of its, its bottom slot, its main slot. And, I was like, did It kind of look cool, and I was like, "Well, I'll try that out." And so, I so I set that as my uh, like main complication for a little bit because the Series Five watch. Like, what you choose as your watch face and what your complications are is now suddenly something that's a bit more like I'm trying to be a bit more thoughtful of because it's constantly visible to the world and to me um, all the time. And so, I tried that out, and then th- that evening, I go out. Actually, actually it was that morning, I went out and looked at the sky. And looked at the moon Um, and then I looked down at my wrist and then I looked at the moon and the two weren't the same, which, which bothered me, which bothered me a lot because here I have this watch that is incredibly powerful and capable, has a GPS coordinate. It's able to like, I could model, you know, the entire solar system with the capable, you know, the computational capabilities of this watch. And here I have this complication. That's a picture of the moon that doesn't look like the moon that's directly in front of me, like up in the sky. And when something like this bothers me, I have a tendency to not be able to let it go very easily. And so I then (laughs) embarked on a a week-long journey down um, astronomy and all kinds of weird math, some of which I understand, some of which I have no idea about, but can just apply the formula um, in terms of creating a uh, astronomically accurate moon complication. And so that is what I've done. Um, it is available now in the App Store. And in addition to just being something that now is like, scratched a niche and solved a problem that I had, I've for a while been looking for uh, an opportunity to make a watch-only app, to use Swift SwiftUI, um, and then, like you said, to use, you know, uh, the Compass and the new watch as well as just, like, make folk thinking a lot about watch face and complications in as they relate to always on watch face um and so that's sort of the origin of this thing and i gotta say it is it it was it was it was just a ton of fun and like learning something completely new like i knew nothing about all these weird astronomy terms um that i've had to learn about and things that are kind of my intuitive uh, thought about how the moon looks and how it moves through the sky that you kind of like, I've looked at the moon my whole life. And I think in my mind though, I was, you kind of have in your mind that the moon is always um, like, sh- I don't know, like straight up and down. So like at for the simplest to say, you imagine the moon as in, a, in its crescent um, phase where it kind of looks like a sea. Mm-hmm. Um, like in my mind, it should always look like a sea. But it actually kind of rises, uh, at least in the northern hemisphere, or if you're in the northern parts of the world, um, like it rises like a U, turns into a C, and then turns into an N, um, all over case. Oh, like
0: it rotates around. It's uh, like,
1: Ah, oh, okay. Yeah, which makes sense intuitively if you imagine that it it's moving along a circle, and its midpoint is sort of locked onto that circle. Um, and so if it didn't rotate, it... if if, you know from a u to a c to an n it was going it would have to be like turning itself along that circle as it went because otherwise like it just it just wouldn't work like if you take your hand and make a c shape and move it in a circle that's that's what happens and like there's a crib bunch bunch of bunch of math you can do to work out what that looks like but that's all that's happening but here i am you know 36 years old been looking at the moon my whole life and i've never really thought about that that that's how the moon has to move. That when it rises, it tends to rise in that kind of uh, sort of you know sort of U shape, and then comes up to the sea. And you know usually that's just like not something you think about, but that's that's the way it works. And so I wanted to make an app that you know did the math to work out based on your GPS coordinate, because this the degree to which it's rotated and the way it looks to you is impacted by your latitude. Um, it's impacted by the declination of the moon, which is how, where the moon is relative to the equator. So the moon isn't actually always directly above the equator. It oscillates up and down along the equator. And so like that's part of it. And there's all kinds of these little cool little math things that you have to do. And so it was fun to kind of just dive in, learn just enough to be dangerous, just enough to like do the math so I can rotate it. And um, I will say testing this has been really kind of slightly comical because... <laughs> um a i it's like all I, you know, I can just go outside and look at it look at it but then you have to adjust for like what is it like in the southern hemisphere or what if you're in different places or different seasons and so thankfully there's a whole bunch of different resources online that i can like simulate different places in the world um and then you know, in my code i'll say like well what if i was in sydney and looking at the moon right now what would that look like and so i can kind of test it but It is an amusing kind of quality assurance. Um, And in some ways, I did feel a bit funny launching it um, before I was able to test it for a full month.
0: Yeah, I was like gonna a, say the uh, the lunar cycle like the Apple watch series five has not been out for an, a complete lunar cycle yet <laughs> no
1: no it it, <laughs> it is it, which is slightly funny I mean thankfully like the way the app works is it lets you preview the moon's uh cycle with a digital crown so if you swipe if you roll roll the digital crown back and forth it'll like time shift through time so you can preview what the moon will look like at different points in time and so I can just kind of assume that As long as that logic is reasonable, that the actual, um, you know, as as time goes on, it will it will still continue to work and look reasonable. But that is kind of a funny thing that I realized. It's like I've only ever seen the app in real life as a waning crescent, a new moon, and then now a waxing crescent. And so it's like I hope it works for the the gibbous moons and um, you know the full moon and all the other parts of it. But it is kind of a funny QA problem. That's pretty cool.
0: I also like. I love this like you know so as everyone knows i'm i'm a watch nerd and there are moon phase complications on real mechanical watches and all they can do though because they don't know your location <laughs> you know so i mean maybe there are there have been occasionally watches that will do some things like Sunar and sunset calculations that you have to basically tell the watchmaker who's making it where you are and they like adjust the gears and stuff to match your location and if you ever move you have to send it in for service to get it changed but uh but you know for the most part you know most watches don't know your location and can't compute things like that so you know the moon phase complication on most watches doesn't have it properly rotated and everything and this is one thing that like the apple watch is great for things like this because it's a computer it knows so much about you it has so much capability and it can do cool things like this. It's exactly the kind of little detail that Apple should be doing with their own built-in stuff. Like, Apple's built-in moon complication should already be doing this. Like, they, they should move past what physical analog watches can do and, and do, like, the smart computer thing because they can. Because, you know, they're never going to be a good analog watch. So they might as well be a really great computer watch and i and the fact that they didn't do it is on them i'm just so happy that you did it <laughs> like I'm, I, it's just so cool to have this cuz now you can have a good moon phase complication that does things that an analog watch moon
1: phase can never do yeah and it's and it's fun i think too that one of the things they changed in watch os that made an app like this feel more even a, a sort of approachable for me is that watch os 6 we can now just do watch only apps and like this is a perfect like example of something where it makes sense to do an app like that where i really didn't want to have to make a like an iphone version of this app um, because it's not really what it's about like i made this app for the complication and fair enough i have to have a watch app to back that up Um, but then having to also make an iphone app like that seemed a little like annoying i'm not sure i would have necessary like it would have felt like i was biting off more of a problem if i had to do that as well and come up with a good design for that and have a design that works for um, you know, the, the Pro Max phones down to the SE phones and like do all that kind of stuff. It's just like, that's way more uh, challenging than building a watch app because intrinsic to a watch app is that it's so limited because the screen is so small. There's only so much we can do, though we can do do more now with SwiftUI, which I'll get into in a minute. And so anyway, that was just kind of a nice part of it too. And it's cool. And I will say, and this is something I think I, we speculated a bit about when we were talking about um, the new watches. Like I just love seeing this now on my wrist like and it feels cool to have this kind of like this personal connection to my watch face and it's always it's always on it's always visible um and that's just a cool thing about having more customization and more flexibility with watch face design um like i think it's just it's a lovely aspect of the watch that it's like i think there's been not as much exploration of it that you know it's like (laughs) apple try is they, they 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 keep they keep they keep trying but I feel like they just keep slightly missing and I'm enjoying the thought and the process um, with this as well as with a few other ideas that I'm kicking around of like pushing out what we can do there because when you when it get when it's right and it's cool like I love that you know and then right now in the morning when I look at my And when I look at my watch, the moon looks one way, and then as the day progresses, it sort of slowly rotates inside, and I know what's happening there. Like, that's cool, and that's personal, and it makes me feel more connected to my watch, which I like.
0: We are sponsored this week by Linode. With Linode, you can instantly deploy and manage an SSD server in the Linode cloud. You can get a server running in just seconds with your choice of Linux gesture, resources, and node location. Linode serves their customers with the help of 10 data centers across the globe and they're always adding more so Mumbai, India and Toronto all will have data centers by the end of the year Uh, Linode features native SSD storage, a 40 gigabit network and Intel Xeon E5 processor so you can serve your customers even faster than before and so you don't have to stress about overspending, Linode has designed their pricing tiers to feature hourly billing with monthly caps on all plans and add-on services including their backups and the node balancers and everything else they offer so linode has pricing options to suit everyone their plans start at one gig of ram for just five dollars a month and they offer high memory plans starting with 16 gigs of ram and a bunch of other specialty things from there i gotta say i use linode for all of overcast hosting and i absolutely love it i have about 25 servers there right now from from the super small ones to super big ones All across the whole spectrum, I just love what Linode has to offer. And they have a special offer for you. As a listener of this show, you can go to linode.com slash radar and use promo code radar2019 to get $20 towards any Linode plan. On the one gig plan, that could be four months for free. And with a seven day money back guarantee, you have nothing to lose. Give Linode a try today. That's Linode.com/slash radar and promo code radar2019 to learn more, sign up, and make the most of that $20 credit. Our thanks to Linode for their support of this show and all of Relay FM.
1: So, the other thing that was kind of fun about this is that I got to use Swift UI for the first time, um, which I think, in many ways, I would highly recommend that if you want to learn Swift UI, doing it on the watch. Is It's good and it's bad. It was great in that it was a nice constrained problem. Um, it's kind of a place where it is worth the overhead and the sort of the headache of Swift UI because compared to WatchKit, it is so much better. But it's definitely a bit awkward because WatchOS development is a bit awkward. But I got to say, it was really cool to use. And compared to WatchKit, it is like night and day. It is amazing. I, I hope do- so like i can do animations and make things interactive and visually rich and like all these weird things that i'm not having to do these weird hacks for and like i can have a much more flexible and fluid thing like it was just so amazing given the number of hacks and the weird things i've had to do in the past to make a any kind of animated or interactive watch app being able to kind of just do these things natively has has been amazing like most of what I've done, at some point, a lot of what my previous watchOS apps, at some point, they kind of f- like. At some point, I push the limit of WatchKit to a point that I can't get what I want, and what I end up doing is in Core Graphics, I render Im- like UI images, and I just keep updating them onto the screen. Like I just essentially build my own my own entire UI layer out of Core Graphics, and I'm just like every you know once a once a second or whatever I. Change the change the the display on the screen, which is terrible. Like and, and is not <laughs> something that anyone should do. Don't go down that road. It was a terrible idea. Well, but you had to. Yeah, like that was all we could do. And now in Swift UI, you don't. Like and you can get, which means that we also get great things just like for free, like basic animation. Like you have an object on the screen and you move it to somewhere else. Smoothly animates at you know presumably like sixty frames a second between those two, whereas before the best I could do would be like you know update it a couple times a second maybe and have like this you know like f- three or four frames per second animation to like move things around, which w- was not great at all. Um, and it interacts properly with our digital crown and is flexible between the different watch sizes. So I got to say, Swift UI in on the watch is amazing for what it allows now it is still a pain to work with i gotta say though like the tooling <laughs> is, it, is it just because it's young I, I think so i think so the two things that really stuck out to me as being like just annoying So the one is the documentation for it is very sparse
0: um, <laughs> given the state of all of apple's recent api documentation i'm i'm not surprised sadly
1: but like it's to the point, like most of the, most of the like documentation you go to on like Apple's page, like you just get like the method signature with no text, no explanation. <laughs> like you're yep. just, and a lot of the way that Swift UI is kind of composed with, there's, it's, you know, there's like a, you know, with the way methods are kind of with sort of, I guess it's subclassing or extensions or those types of things. Like it's hard to work out what methods you can call on what objects or what customizations will work and what right things and trying to work that out is ultimately just trial and error like you just kind of go to you just go into Xcode and just like try it and see like if for this particular type of view if you can apply this particular kind of property and sometimes you can sometimes you can't but mostly you're just guessing and the other thing is like just the the integration with Xcode is just it's very problematic. Um, and I'm not even talking about like, I, I, I gave up. I, the first day I tried to use the like live preview thing that they have where like I booted up into Catalina so that I could use that. And that was just painful. And ultimately like, it's kind of a cool thing. And I could imagine when that works, it being really cool and flexible. But most of the time, what I found is because it's trying to happen in real time, it's also trying to happen like while you're compiling your app, and so you know you always have the classic thing of can you type faster than the compiler can finish? Because otherwise, you end up with this weird case where like you've half implemented a, me- a method or a function or whatever it is, and then it gets a compiler error. Which fair enough, like that's true. Um, but eventually, what I, that kept happening is it sort of kept seemed like it would crash the preview, and then i would have to restart it. And so ultimately, I just went back to the old standby that works great is just like a very tight build and run cycle that I just kept, you know, I would make a change, build and run. And if I'm doing this on the simulator, it was nice and speedy and, you know, worked nine times out of 10 um, pretty well. And so that worked reasonably well. Like I would say stay away from previews, at least at this point um, on the watch. Like it just wasn't worth it. Um, and then the other thing is the error messages you get with Swift UI, if you mess something up, are just <laughs> yes, just I, I don't even know. Like they're not error messages. They're, they're they're not in any way descriptive of what the actual problem mistake you made. The line of code that it points to as being the problem is never the actual line of code. Like I don't think any <laughs> time other than like syntax errors, where like I it it, it we know like I mistyped typed something or had the wrong symbol, like. unless it was that kind of an error, that was never the line. And I went, it's like, you know, the old like debugging scheme where you have lots of print statements. Like for Swift UI, the debugging scheme when you have a weird cryptic error message is you just start commenting out code until you isolate. It's sort of like you're doing this binary search of like, if I comment out the top half of uh, this function, do do I still get the error message? Okay, I do. So then I need to then, you know, like the next half and the next half, and eventually you find the line of code that when you comment it out, the error goes away. And like, that's the best you can do at this point. And most of the time, the error message is something just very strange, like, you know, can't convert, uh, you know, void this into open, close parentheses. And you're just like, okay, okay. (laughs) <laughs> and it, it turns out it's actually that you call a method um, with a wrong var- with you know with a wrong value or like things that things that are like normal errors that you will make as um in your development and i got a bit better after the course of like a week of using swiftui of like guessing what the error was um based on how cryptic it was but i got to say like the tooling for this um, needs to come a long way before it kind of feels like worth doing. Like I don't think on iOS at this point, I would recommend going down this road because UIKit is just it can do everything that SwiftUI can can do. Whereas you know, versus like WatchKit, which just can't do these things, and so it isn't worth it. Um, and at least with UIKit, like the error messages are reasonable. Um, it's very well documented. It's you know, there's lots of examples. There's lots of places that you can go to get help if you have something weird happen. Like you know, UIKit is not without its bugs and its quirks, but I feel like they're fairly well understood and under, Like, I, I know what I, I know what's going wrong with UIKit, whereas with SwiftUI, sometimes it was just like I don't know what's going on.
0: Yeah, SwiftUI. I mean, I, I think a lot of this is just because it's so young, um, and and, and I, I expect a lot of this will be fixed over time. But I but there's also. A substantial um, discoverability problem with, as you mentioned earlier, like what can it do? What methods can I call on this object? Like that, there's a huge discoverability problem there, and the the almost complete lack of documentation is not helping here. Uh, and then there's also, in the implementation of Swift UI as basically a DSL inside of Swift, which is itself a very, like, you know, compiler. Complex uh, syntax, syntactically complex language. You know, adding a DSL on top of that makes the tooling even more complex. And it makes it so that I'm not sure it's ever going to be possible to have really great error reporting like by the compiler. I, I think it, it can certainly be improved from where it is now. But unless there is some significantly deeper integration with Swift UI being like special cased in Xcode and how it handles things and how the compilers report errors and everything it's going to be hard to ever make a lot of these things more useful or more intuitive or nicer and more friendly. Um, Swift UI, it's always going to have this problem of like, it is visually very pleasingly simple. Like when you see Swift UI code, you're like, wow, that's so beautiful. But writing it is a different story. Writing it is, you know, especially when you aren't that familiar with it yet, you can know Swift and you can know UI kit and those things are not very helpful here because it's a totally different language, and uh, you know it's, it's a language inside of Swift. And I think it's just going to there's there's going to be I think a certain ceiling of how friendly it can ever get, and we're nowhere near that yet. But I think it's it's always going to be more complex
1: than it appears to be when you see code on slides. Probably, yeah. I, mean, I think that's just the nature of these kinds of things. Like there, it's when it works, it's magic, and any in my experience, any programming environment or philosophy that is, that it has that kind of like when it works, it's magic thing. Like when it doesn't work, it's like terrible. It falls down very like hard and aggressively. And, but when it works, it's like, it's amazing. Um, And so that's just kind of, I am slightly hopeful. I'm just thinking of back in the day where with objective C, all of the work they were able to do with the static analyzer and like how, they were able to pull things out of the code that weren't just like compiler like they could use what the compiler knew to like make lots of inferences and help give you you know like these very clever I mean I don't think even back before um automatic reference counting. Like back when back in those days where like it could be do some really clever things. And I'm I'm hopeful that like They could do a similar thing with SwiftUI where they can give, they can infer what is like right now. What's happening is we're getting the like the actual compiler messages that are just like just from the Swift compiler, and I I would hope that eventually we could get to a place that there is like the Swift compiler and then there's like the static analyzer that is running on top of that to look at what's like look at when I get this error like what does this actually mean? And in some ways, like maybe it can do the thing that i'm doing where i'm like commenting out code to like find the line that is actually causing the problem and like it can do that analysis very quickly like in real time where it just tries to remove different aspects of the of my code tree and says like this seems to be the part that is causing this problem or who knows like they've gone down this road enough in the past that i'm hopeful but yes right now it's tricky and i guess the last thing i wanted to touch on is the my experience using the watch app store oh yeah because it's a watch only app so the way people are supposed to get it is by
0: it, can you buy it on the phone or do you yes. have to buy it on the watch
1: well this is i guess so the first thing i wanted to like i one of the main reasons i wanted to like make this app is i had no idea how this process would work like does it work with test flight can you um, how do you sell it can you link to it because like if you know if i have a link for the app like what does that mean on the watch there's no like browser on the watch. Um and so a couple things, so it does work in test flight. Um you can upload a, a watch only app to test flight and it, it the process is basically the same um for anything and you just in test flight it'll just say like watch only and you you know install it to the watch. Um, so that works just fine. On the iOS side, um like when you're submitting the app, it's everything you kind of would expect like The setup of the screen, like it has still has all the slots for like the iPhone screenshots and things, but they're not required. So you only have required to set um, the watch screenshots. And then once the app is out in the world, it shows up in both the iOS and uh, watchOS app stores. Um, You can buy it and link. If you link to it, they'll obviously go to the iOS um, app store page for it, and they can buy it there and. In theory, I think what's supposed to happen, and I'm not sure if this is controlled by the like automatically install apps setting in the watch uh, oh, companion yeah. or not, but I think what's supposed to happen is you buy it and then it just shows up on the watch. Based on my support queue, that <laughs> is not always the case. Oh no. Uh, in fact, that is often not the case. And you can end up with these very cryptic messages and it's very inconsistent. And I've had a, basically what I've had to do is tell a lot of people that what you do, if you bought it on your phone is you go on the watch, if it doesn't show up automatically, go to the app store on the watch, scroll all the way to the bottom. There's like an account area there. You can hit account and then you hit purchased, and then you should be able to install it from there. And that that works for most people. Um, you can you can buy it on the watch itself. Um, if you however, you really need to think through the name of what your app is because people have to find it <laughs> in one of two ways. They either have to scribble the words um, one letter at a time, and then they need to be able to actually scribble those letters, or they need to be able to say it out loud to Siri and have it take dictation. The name I chose was Moon++, Plus Plus, which turns out... Oh,
0: God. Wait, let me try. Dictation. Moon++. Plus Plus. Okay. It says, and Moon++, and it brings up nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it so- brings up one thing that's in German.
1: That is not what you want. No. Um, it turns out that what you have to say if you actually want to search for it is moon plus sign plus sign. <laughs> um, that is the that is the way that you correctly search for it in dictation, which um, is not something anyone would int- sort of intuitively think about. Um, so I've been spending all morning coming up trying to come up with better names for these things and testing it. Usually when you come up with a new name, you think about like, is the domain available? Is there another app like this in the App Store? I'm spending all morning just talking to Siri, saying things out loud and seeing <laughs> what it thinks I said and like trying to say it in weird ways or like playing music in the background and then saying it and seeing if it, if it works. Um, so this experience is not great. Um, but this is, you know, the early days. And I think the App Store is like the Watch App Store is a weird place too because. Like right now, I think there's like eight or nine, maybe 10 apps that are being featured in like, when you actually open the app store, there's like 10 apps there. I imagine if you're one of those apps, good news. Like that, that's great. If you're not like you, you don't exist.
0: You think, I mean, like, do you think anyone's really going to this? Like this is, I mean, I'm, I just scrolled through now. It's, it's kind of a painful experience. Like I I don't think anyone's really going to be doing this.
1: Maybe not. I don't know. But like if you're a watch only app, it's, it's, it's an, it seems like an important place to, 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 to show up, but um, yeah. So it's just, it's, it's a very, I would say it's an awkward experience. I don't know if it's worth it. Like in terms of if I had just made an iPhone app, things would have been a lot simpler. Um, but I kind of like that I didn't have to. And so um, I think I just need to come up with a better name, test that name through Siri um and hopefully too there's a lot of things that seem to be complicated by like the series one and two apple watches don't support watch os6 yet um and so people who get these weird error messages that say they like you know they need to update their watch but they can't update their watch because watch os6 isn't available for those yet but it will be at some point what (laughs) i didn't know that yeah, yeah, no. At this point, so Watch OS 6 was released for the series 3, 4, and 5 watch, but it has not yet been released for the series 1 and 2 watch.
0: But they didn't they're not incompatible.
1: They will no, have it. Just it not happen. yet for some reason. Just not yet. For whatever <laughs> oh, reason.
0: Oh, oh. oh, I love this rollout so much. Yeah.
1: So this has been my week. Um the customer support <laughs> side has been a bit a bit of a pain, but Making a watch app has been a lot of fun. Making complications is like my new favorite thing and I am going to be making like dozens of these I suspect. Um and Swift UI, the tooling's terrible but the but like the result is really good. That's uh my quick summary. Awesome. Well thanks for listening everybody
0: and we'll talk to you in 2 weeks. Bye.